Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 29 to 31, and in the previous episode, we read chapters 27 to 28. And in the previous episode, we saw that Jason and Piper had finally defeated Hercules in a quest that had initially seemed impossible, but immediately had turned into a victorious quest as... After learning the sides of both Hercules and Aklas, the, the duo had believed um, more of Aklas' side than compared to Hercules' side. And that enabled Piper to lead into not a huge duel, but kind of a duel, I guess if you look at it from a certain perspective, between Hercules. As when she retrieves the horn from Aklas, she lets go of a cornucopia of food and just lets it rain down on Hercules. And with that, he is hindered from trying to stop Percy and, uh, sorry, Piper and Jason, Piper and Jason from escaping. And therefore, although they're able to escape, Hercules is drowned in a bunch of food without Atlas's horn. So now we're gonna read chapter 29 to see how, how it was on the boat while Piper and Jason were going through that quest. Or it possibly just could be after this whole thing occurs after uh, after this whole Piper and Jason thing occurs afterwards. We'll see. So now we're going to read chapter 29, Percy. Um, before I go on, I do want to apologize for the late upload of my last episode. Um, I do know I have been getting uh, requests to upload more than once a week. Um I would love to. I honestly, I think I love this book. I enjoy this book. But I simply, unfortunately, um, because of uh, other things I have, uh, I'm unfortunately unable to post twice a week. However, if I ever do get the wonderful opportunity to do so, I will take that opportunity and make sure that I am able to post at least twice a week at some point if i am uh able to do so so once again i do know that i have been getting requests that to upload more than once once a week but unfortunately but due to unforeseen due to some circumstances uh, i can only upload more than once and i'm very sorry for that um i know that some are very are eagerly waiting for the next episode sometimes sometimes it comes late and it comes sort of as a disappointment and i also want to apologize for that and i know i say i will upload upload more either on saturday or sunday and then i end up uploading a few days during the week um i know i have something to uphold and that is providing wonderful content for you guys on a wonderful time manner. So I will continue to try my best to upload them on time, um, upload these episodes on time so that you're able to have a wonderful experience. Uh, Wonderful. So that being said, I'll try my best to upload episodes at least Saturday or Sunday every week. Um, But, yeah. So... Now that with all that being said, uh, we'll move on. Now we're going to move on to reading the chapters. So now we're going to read chapter 29, Percy. Percy 
was not feeling the love. Bad enough he'd run out of Atlanta by evil sea gods, then he had failed to stop a giant shrimp attack on the Ark of the Second, then the Aetheocentaurs, Chiron's brothers, hadn't even wanted to meet him. After all that, they had arrived at the Pillars of, Her of Hercules, and Percy had to stay aboard ship while Jason the Big Shot visited his half-brother, Hercules, the most famous demigod of all time, and Percy didn't get to meet him either. Okay, sure, from what Piper said afterward, Hercules was a jerk, but still, Percy was kind of, was getting kind of tired of staying aboard ship and pacing the deck. The open sea was supposed to be his territory. Percy was supposed to step up, ch take charge, and keep everybody safe. Instead, all the way across the Atlantic, he'd done pretty much nothing except make small talk with sharks and listen to Coach Head sing TV theme songs. To make matters worse, Annabeth had been distant ever since they'd left Charleston. She spent most of her time in her cabin studying the bronze map she retrieved from Fort Sumter, or looking up information on Daedalus's laptop. Whenever Percy stopped by to see her, she was so lost in thought that the conversation went something like this. Uh, hey, how's it going? Uh, no thanks. Okay, have you eaten anything today? I think Leo's on duty, ask him. So, my hair is on fire. Okay, in a while. She got like this sometimes. It was one of the challenges of dating an Athena girl. Still, Percy wondered what he had to do to get her attention. He was worried about her after her encounter with the spiders at Fort Sumter, and she didn't know how to help her. He didn't know how to help her, especially after she shut him out. After leaving the Pillars of Hercules unscathed, except for a few coconuts lodged in the hull's bronze plating, the ship traveled by air for a few hundred miles. Percy hoped the ancient lands wouldn't be as bad as they'd heard, but it was almost like a commercial. You'll notice the difference immediately. Several times an hour, something attacked the ship. A flock of fleshing, stymphalian birds swooped out of the night sky, and Festus torched them. Storm spirits swirled around the mast, and Jason blasted them with night lightning. While Coach Hedge was having dinner on the foredeck, a wild pegasus appeared from nowhere stampeded over the coach's enchiladas and flew off again, leaving cheesy hoof prints all over the deck. What was that for? The coach demanded. The sight of the Pegasus made Percy wish Blackjack were here. He hadn't seen his friend in days. Tempest and Arian hadn't also shown themselves. Maybe they didn't want to venture into the Mediterranean. So, Percy couldn't blame them. Finally, around midnight, after the ninth or 10th aerial attack, Jason turned to him, how about you get some sleep? I'll keep blasting the stuff out of the sky as long as I can, and then we can go by sea for a while, and then you can take point. Percy wasn't sure that he'd be able to sleep with the boat rocking through the clouds, as it was shaken by angry wind spirits. But Jason's idea made sense. He went below decks and crashed on his bunk. His nightmares, of course, were anything but restful. He dreamed he was in a dark cavern. He could only see a few feet in front of him. But the speed... The, but the fate... But... But the space must have been vast. Water dripped from somewhere nearby, and the sound echoed off distant walls. The way the air moved from what made Percy suspect the cave ceiling was far, far above. He heard heavy, heavy footsteps, and the twin giants Ephialtus and Otis shuffled out of the gloom. Percy could distinguish them only by their hair. Ephialtus had the green locks braided with silver and gold coins. Otis had the purple ponytail braided with... Were those firecrackers? 
Otherwise, they were dressed identically, and they made, their outfits definitely made belonged in a nightmare. They wore matching white slacks and gold buccaneer shirts with V-necks that showed way too much chest here. A dozen sheathed daggers lined their rhinestone belts. Their, show, their shoes were open-toed sandals, proving that, yes, indeed, they had snakes for feet. The straps rammed and wrapped around the serpents' necks. Their heads curled up where the toes should be. The snakes flickered their tongues excitedly and turned their gold eyes in every direction. Like dogs looking out the window of a car. Maybe it had been a long time since they had shoes with a view. The giants stood in front of Percy, but they paid him no attention. Instead, they gazed up into the darkness. We're here! Fialtis announced. Despite his booming voice, his voice, his words dissipated in the cavern, echoing until they sounded small and insignificant. Far above, something answered, Yes, I can see that. Those outfits are hard to miss. The voice made Percy's stomach drop about six inches. It sounded vaguely female, but not at all human. Each word was a garbled hiss in multiple tones as if a swarm of African killer bees had learned to speak English in unison. It wasn't Gaia, Percy was sure of that, but whatever it was, the twin giants became nervous. They shifted on their snakes and bobbed their heads respectfully. Of course, your ladyship, Ephialta said. We bring news of why are you dressed like that? Asked the thing in the dark. She didn't seem to be coming any closer, which was fine with Percy. Ephialta shot his brother an irritated look. Oh, my brother was supposed to wear something different. Uh, unfortunately, you said I was the knife thrower today, Otis protested. I said I was the knife thrower. You were supposed to be the magician. Ah, oh, forgive me, your ladyship. We don't want to hear, you don't want to hear us arguing. We came as you requested to bring you news. The ship is approaching. Her ladyship whatever she was, made a series of violent hisses like a tire being slashed repeatedly. With a shudder, Percy realized she was laughing. How long? she asked. They should land in Rome shortly after daybreak, I think, Ephialtus said. Of course, they'll have to get past the Golden Boy. He sneered as if the Golden Boy was not his favorite person. I hope they arrive safe. They arrive safely. Her ladyship said, It would spoil our fun to have them captured too soon. Are your preparations made? Oh, yes, your ladyship. Otis stepped forward, and then the cavern trembled. A crack appeared under Otis's left snake. Careful! Careful, you dolt! Her ladyship snarled. Do you want to return to Tartarus the hard way? Otis scrambled back, his face slack with terror. Percy realized that the floor, which looked like solid stone, was more like the glacier he'd walked on in Alaska. In some places solid, in other places not so much. He was glad he weighed nothing in his dreams. There's little holding there's little left holding this place together, her ladyship cautioned. Except, of course, my own skill. Centuries of Athena's rage can only be contained so well, and the great Earth Mother churns below us in her sleep. Between those two forces, well, my nest has quite eroded. We must hope this child of Athena proves to be a worthy victim. She may be my last plaything. Ephialtus gulped. He kept his eyes on the crack in the floor. Soon it will not matter, your ladyship. Gaia, Gaia will rise and we will all be rewarded. You will no longer have to guard this place or keep your works hidden. Perhaps, said the voice in the dark. 
But I will miss the sweetness of my revenge. We have worked well together over the centuries, have we not? The twins bowed. The coins glittered in Ephialtes' hair, and Percy realized with nauseating certainty that some of them were silver drachma, exactly like the one Annabeth had gotten from her mom. Annabeth had told him in each generation a few children of Athena were sent on the quest to recover the missing Parthenon statue. None had ever succeeded. We have worked well together over the centuries. The giant Ephialtes had centuries worth of coins in his braids, hundreds of trophies. Percy pictured Annabeth standing in this dark place alone. He imagined the giant taking that coin she carried and adding it to his collection. Percy wanted to draw a sword and give that giant a haircut, Sora staring at the neck, but he was powerless to act. He could only watch. Oh, your ladyship? Ephialta said nervously. Uh, I would remind you that Gaia wishes the girl to be taken alive. You can torment her, drive her insane, whatever you wish, of course, but her blood must be spilt on the ancient stones. Her ladyship hissed. Others could be used for that purpose. Uh, Yes, Ephialta said, but this girl is preferred, and the boy, the son of Poseidon, you can see why those two would be most... Uh, suited for the task. Percy wasn't sure what that meant, but he wanted to crack the floor and send those stupid gold-shirted twins down to oblivion. He never let Gaia, Gaia spill his blood for any task, and there was no way he'd let anyone hurt Annabeth. We shall see. Her ladyship crumbled. Leave me now. Tend to your preparations. You will have your spectacle, and I, I will work in darkness. The dream dissolved, and Percy woke with a start. Jason was knocking at his open doorway. We sat down in the water, he said, looking utterly exhausted. Your turn. Percy didn't want to, but he woke Annabeth. He figured even Coach Hedge wouldn't mind their talking after curfew if it meant giving her information that might save her life. They stood on deck alone, except for Leo, who was still manning the helm. The guy must have been shattered, but he refused to go to sleep. I don't want any more Shrimpzilla surprises, he insisted. They all tried to convince Leo that the Skolopendra attack had been entirely his fault, but he wouldn't listen. Percy knew how he felt. Not forgiving himself for mistakes was one of Percy's biggest talents. It was about four in the morning. The mother was miserable. The fog was so thick, Percy couldn't see Festus at the end of the prow, and warm drizzle hung in the air like a bead curtain. As they sailed into 20-foot Saya swells, the sea having underneath them, Percy could hear poor Hazel down in her cabin, also heaving. Despite that, Percy was grateful to be back on the water. He preferred to be flying through storm clouds and being attacked by man-eating birds and enchilada-trampling pegasi. He stood with Annabeth at the forward rail while he told her about his dream. Percy wasn't sure how she'd take the news. Her reaction was even more troubling than he anticipated. She didn't seem surprised. She peered into the frog, into the fog. Percy... You have to promise me something. Don't tell the others about this dream. Don't what? Annabeth? What you saw was about the mark of Athena, she said. It won't help the others to know. It'll only make them worry. It'll make it harder for me to go off on my own. Annabeth, you can't be serious. That thing is in the dark. The big chamber with the crumbling floor. I know. Her face looked unnaturally pale, and Percy suspected it wasn't just the fog. But I have to do this. I have to do this alone. 
Percy swallowed back his anger. He wasn't sure if he was mad at Annabeth or his dream, or the entire Greek-Roman world that had endured and shaped human history for 5,000 years and with one goal in mind, to make Percy's Jackson life suck as much as possible. You know what's in that cavern? He guessed. Does it have to do with spiders? Yes, she said in a small voice. Then how can you even... He made himself stop. Once Annabeth had made up her mind, arguing with her wouldn't do any good. He remembered the night three and a half years ago when they'd saved Nico and Bianca D'Angelo in Maine. Annabeth had been captured by the Titan Atlas. For a while, Percy wasn't sure if she was dead or alive. He traveled across the country to save her from the Titan. It had been the hardest few days of his life. Not just the monsters and the fighting, but the worry. How could he intentionally let her go now, knowing she was heading into something even more dangerous? Then... It dawned on him. The way he had probably felt back then for a few days was probably how Annabeth had felt for the six months he had been missing with amnesia. That made him feel guilty and a little bit selfish to be standing here arguing with her. She had to go on this quest. The fate of the world might depend on it, but part of him wanted to say, forget the world. He didn't want to be without her. Percy stared into the fog, couldn't see anything around them, and but... He had perfect bearings at sea. He knew their exact latitude and longitude. He knew the depth of the ocean and which way the currents were flowing. He knew the ship's speed and could sense no rocks, sandbars, or other natural dangers in their path. Still, being blind was unsettling. They hadn't been attacked since they had touched the water, but the sea seemed different. Percy had been in the Atlantic, the Pacific, even the Gulf of Alaska, but this sea felt more ancient and powerful. Percy could sense its layers swirling below him. Every Greek or Roman hero had sailed these waters, from Hercules to Aeneas. Monsters still dwelt in the depths, so deeply wrapped in the mists that they slept most of the time, but Percy could feel them stirring, responding to the celestial bronze hull of a Greek trireme and the presence of demigod blood. They are back, the monsters seemed to say. Finally, fresh. We're not far from the Italian coast, Percy said, mostly to break the silence. Maybe a hundred nautical miles to the mouth of the Tiber. Good, Annabeth said. By daybreak, we should stop. Percy's skin felt washed with ice. We have to stop. Why? Annabeth asked. Leo, stop! He yelled. Too late. The other boat appeared out of the fog and then rammed them head on. In that split second, Percy registered random details. Another trireme. Black sails painted with a gorgon's head. Hulking warriors, not quite human, crowded at the front of the boat in Greek armor. Swords and spears ready, and a bronze ram at water level, slamming against the hull of the Argo II. Annabeth and Percy were almost thrown overboard. Festus blew fire, sending a dozen very surprised warriors screaming and diving into the sea, but more swarmed about the aboard the Argo II. Grappling lines wrapped around the rails and the mast, digging iron claws into the hull's planks. By the time Percy had recovered his wits, the enemy was everywhere. He couldn't see well through the fog in the dark, but the invaders seemed to be like human-like dolphins, or dolphin-like humans. Some had gray snouts, others held their swords and stunted flippers. Some waddled on legs partially fused together, while others had flippers for feet, which reminded Percy of clown shoes. Leo sounded the alarm bell. He made a dash for the nearest ballista, but went on down under under a pile of chattering dolphin warriors. Amethyst and Percy stood back to back, as they'd done many times before. Their weapons drawn, Percy tried to summon the waves, hoping he could push the ships apart, or even capsize the enemy vas- ve- vessel, but nothing happened. 
It almost felt like something was pushing him against his will, wrestling the sea from his control. He raised Riptide, ready to fight, but they were hopelessly outnumbered. Several dozen warriors lowered their spears and made a ring around them, wisely keeping out a striking distance of Percy's sword. The dolphin men opened their snouts and made whistling, popping noises. Percy had never considered just how vicious dolphin teeth looked. He tried to think. Maybe he could break out of the circle and destroy a few invaders, but not without the others skewering him and Annabeth. At least the warriors didn't seem interested in killing them immediately. They kept her Annabeth and Percy contained while more of their other comrades floated below decks and secured the hull. Percy could hear them breaking down the cabin door, scuffling with his friends. Even if the other demigods hadn't been fast asleep, they wouldn't have stood a chance against so many. Leo was dragged across the dock, across the deck, half-conscious and groaning and dumped on a pile of ropes. Below, the sounds of fighting tapered off. Either the others had been subdued or, or Percy refused to think about it. On one side of the ring of spears, the dolphin warriors parted to let someone through. He appeared to be fully human, but from the way the dolphins fell back before him, he was clearly the leader. He was dressed in Greek combat armor, sandals, kilt, and greaves, a breastplate decorated with elaborate sea monster designs, and everything he wore was gold, even his sword. A Greek blade like Riptide was gold instead of bronze. The golden boy, Percy thought, remembering his dream. They'll have to get past the golden boy. What really made Percy nervous was the guy's helmet. His visor was a full-faced mask fashioned like a gorgon's head. Curved tusks and horrible features pinched into a snarl, and golden snake hair curling around the face. Percy had met gorgons before. The likeness was good. Well, too good for his taste. Annabeth turned so she was shoulder to shoulder with Percy. He wanted to put his arm around her protectively, but he doubted she'd appreciate the gesture. And he didn't want to give this golden guy any indication that Annabeth was his girlfriend. No sense giving the anime more leverage than they already had. Who are you? Percy demanded. And what do you want? The golden warrior chuckled. With a flick of his blade faster than Percy could follow, he smacked Riptide out of Percy's hand and sent it flying into the sea. You might as well throw Percy's lungs into the sea because suddenly Percy couldn't breathe. He'd never been disarmed so easily. Hello, brother. The golden warrior's voice was rich and velvety with an exotic accent. Middle Eastern, maybe. That seemed vaguely familiar. Always happy to rob a fellow son of Poseidon. I'm Chrysior, the golden sword. As for what I want. He turned his metal mask toward Annabeth. Well, that's easy. I want everything you have. That's the end of chapter 29. So this seems like it's going to be another trial towards the group of seven. And I guess when Reyna had warned them multiple times about entering the Mediterranean Sea and just giving them, I guess, a last-ditch effort of you either fight us or you go into the Mediterranean and just go in killing yourselves. So I think... Now is where the trials and the monsters and everything start coming in. And I think, I guess we see this one for this first one with Gorgons. So this is going to be quite fascinating to see how this is going to be combated out and exactly how Percy's able to Percy and the rest of the group are going to be able to fight against a, an enemy that had already surrounded them or is already putting them at a disadvantage. So, yeah, that was definitely a fascinating chapter uh, after the non-existent break. So, I guess 
you know, take a break, have some water, get another snack maybe, and then come right back because right after this break, we're going to read chapter 30 and continue to see how exactly these this combat or slash fight between Percy and the Gorgons go. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 30, Percy. Percy's heart did jumping jacks while Chrysler walked back and forth, inspecting them like wild-prized cattle. A dozen of his dolphin man-warriors stayed in a ring around them, spears leveled at Percy's chest, while dozens more ransacked the ship, banging and crashing around below decks. One carried a box of ambrosia up the stairs, another carried an armful of ballista bolts and a crate of Greek fire. Careful with that! Annabeth warned. If it'll blow up our sh- both our ships. Ha! Chrysler said. We know all about Greek fire, girl. Don't worry. We've been looting and pillaging ships on the Mare Nostrum for eons. Your accent sounds familiar, Percy said. Have we met? I haven't had the pleasure. Chrysler's golden gorgon mask snarled at him. It was impossible to tell what his real expression might be underneath. But I've heard of all about you, Percy Jackson. Oh, yes, the young man who saved Olympus and his faithful sidekick, Annabeth Chase. I'm nobody's sidekick, Annabeth growled. And Percy, his accent sounds familiar because he sounds like his mother. We killed her in New Jersey. Percy frowned. I'm pretty sure that accent is in New Jersey. Who's his... Oh... It all fell into place. Auntie M's garden gnome emporium, the lair of Medusa. She'd talk with that same accent, at least until Percy had cut off her head. Medusa is your mom? Yes. Dude, that sucks for you. Judging from the sound in Chrysler's throat, he was now snarling under the mask, too. <laughs> you are as arrogant as the first Perseus. Chrysler said, But yes, Percy Jackson, Poseidon was my father, Medusa was my mother. After Medusa was changed into a monster by that so-called goddess of wisdom, that golden ma- the golden mask turned on Annabeth. That would be your mother, I believe. Medusa's two children were trapped inside or unable to be born. When the original Perseus cut off Medusa's head, two children sprang out, Annabeth remembered, Pegasus and you. Percy blinked. So your brother is a winged horse, but you're also my half-brother, which means all the flying horses in the world are my... You know what? Let's forget it. He learned years ago it was better not to dwell too much on who was related to whom on the godly side of things. After Tyson the Cyclops adopted him as a brother, Percy decided that he that was about as far as he wanted to extend the family. But if you're Medusa's kid, he said, why haven't I ever heard of you? Chrysler sighed in exasperation. When your brother is Pegasus, you get used to being forgotten. Oh, look, a winged horse. Does anyone care about me? No! He raised the tip of his blade to Percy's eyes. But don't underestimate me. My name means the golden sword for a reason. Imperial gold? Percy guessed. Bah! Enchanted gold, yes. Later on, the Gromans called it imperial gold. But I was the first to ever wield such a blade. I should have been the most famous hero of all time. Since the legend tellers decided to ignore me, I became a villain instead. I resolved to put my heritage to use. As a son of Medusa, I would inspire terror. As a son of Poseidon, I would rule the seas. You became a pirate, Annabeth summed up. 
Chrysler spread his arms, which was fine with Percy since it got the sword point away from his eyes. The best pirate, Chrysler said. I've sailed these waters for centuries, wailing any demigods foolish enough to explore the Mare Nostrum. This is my territory now, and all you have is mine. One of the dolphin warriors dragged Coach Hedge up from below. Let me go, you tuna fish! Hedge bellowed. He tried to kick the warrior, but his hoof changed off his captor's armor. Judging from the hoof-shaped prints in the dolphin's breastplate and helmet, the coach already made several attempts. Ah, satyr, Chrysler mused. A little old and stringy, but Cyclops will pay well for a morsel like him. Chain him up! I am not nobody's goatmate! Hedge protested. Gag him as well, Chrysler decided. Why, you killed it, little! Hedge's insult was... Cut short when the dolphin put a greasy wad of canvas in his mouth. Soon the coach was trussed like a rodeo calf and dumped with the other loot. Crates of food, extra weapons, and even the magical ice chest from the mess hall. You can't do this! Annabeth shouted. Chrysler's laughter reverberated inside his gold face mask. Percy wondered if he was horribly disfigured under there or if his gaze could petrify people the way his mother's could. I can do anything I want. Chrysler said. My warriors have been trained to perfection. They are vicious, cutthroat Dolphins, Percy noted. Chrysler shrugged. Yes, so? They had some bad luck a few millennia, millennia ago. Kidnapped the wrong person. Some of their crew got turned completely into dolphins. Others went mad. But these, these survived as hybrid creatures. When I found them under the sea and offered them a new life, they became my loyal crew. They fear nothing. One of the warriors chattered at him nervously. Yes, yes, Chrysler growled. If you're one thing, but it hardly matters, he's not here. An idea began tickling at the base of Percy's skull. Before he could pursue it, more dolphin warriors climbed the stairs, hauling up the rest of his friends. Jason was unconscious. Judging from the new bruises on his face, he tried to fight. Hazel and Piper were bound hand and foot. Piper had a gag in her mouth, so apparently the dolphins had discovered she could charm speak. Frank was the only one missing, though two of the dolphins had bee stings covering their faces. Could Frank actually turn into a swarm of bees? bees? Percy hoped so. If he was free above the ship somewhere, that could be an advantage, assuming Percy could figure out how to communicate with him. Excellent, Chrysler gloated. He directed his warriors to dump Jason by the crossbows. Then he examined the girls like they were Christmas presents, which made Percy grit his teeth. The boy was no use to me, Chrysler said. Well, we have an understanding with the witch, Circe. Circe. She'll buy the woman, either as slave or trainees, depending on the skill, but not you, lovely Annabeth. Annabeth recoiled. You are not taking me anywhere. Percy's hand crept to his pocket. His pen had appeared back in his jeans. He only needed a moment's distraction to draw his sword. Maybe he could take down Chrysler quickly. His crew would panic. He wished he knew something about Chrysler's weaknesses. Usually, Annabeth provided him with information like that, but apparently Chrysler didn't have any legends, so they both were in the dark. The Golden Warrior tutted. Oh, sadly, Annabeth, you will not be staying with me. I would love that, but you and your friend Percy are spoken for. A certain goddess is paying a high bounty for your capture, alive. If possible, though, she didn't say you had to be unharmed. At that moment, Piper caused the disturbance they needed. She wailed so loudly it could be heard through the gag. Then she fainted against the nearest guard, knocking him over. Hazel got the idea and crumpled to the deck, kicking her legs and thrashing like she was having a fit. Percy drew Riptide and lashed out. 
The blade should have gone straight through Chrysler's neck, but the Golden Warrior was unbelievably fast. He dodged and parried as the Dolphin Warriors backed up, guarding the other captives while giving their captain room to battle. They chattered and squeaked, egging him on, and Percy got the sinking suspicion the crew was used to this sort of entertainment. They didn't feel their leader was in any sort of danger. Percy hadn't crossed swords with an opponent like this since... Oh, since he'd battled the war god Ares. Chrysler was that good. Many of Percy's powers had gone stronger over the years, but now, too late, Percy realized that swordplay wasn't one of them. He was rusty, at least against an adversary like Chrysler. They battled back and forth, thrusting and parrying without meaning to. Percy heard the voice of Luke Castellan, his first sword mind fighting mentor at Camp Half-Blood, throwing out suggestions, but it didn't help. The Golden Gorgon Mass was too unnerving. The warm fog, the slick deck boards, the chattering of the warriors, none of it helped. In the corner of his eye, Percy could see one of the dolphin men holding a knife at Annabeth's throat in case she tried anything tricky. He fainted and thrust to the Chrysler's gut, but Chrysler anticipated the move. He knocked Percy's sword out of his hand again, and once more, Riptide flew into the sea. Chrysler laughed easily. He wasn't e even winded. He pressed the tip of his golden sword against Percy's sternum. A good try, said the pirate, but now you'll be chained and transported to quite Gaia's minions. Gaia's minions. They're quite eager to spill your blood and wake the goddess. And that's the end of chapter 31. Or 30, sorry. A uh, pretty short chapter, but I think uh, we were able to certainly get a lot more information on who exactly is this new enemy, Chrysior, who is also the son of Medusa. So I think, well, definitely I, I would have to praise his skills for in terms of combat fighting. I think they're definitely way more advanced. And I think the fact that Percy was stuck in that whole amnesia confusion period he wasn't able to continue practicing his swordplay as he had wished to probably because the last time he had probably used swordplay was during the titan war against chronos and then afterwards after that we the la the the next mention of percy is when he gets amnesia and then he goes to camp jupiter so Within that time frame, it gets his swordplay definitely gets a little bit rusty because we've seen his battle with Ares. We've seen him battle with unimaginable strong people and be able to defeat them. So I think the rustiness is really going to hold Percy back because of the of all the incidents that's happened throughout his life up until this point some of them may have hindered him from continuing to practice as he had probably wished to. That way, he would be able to continue f facing enemies, but with more and more ease as he keeps practicing. And unfortunately, that practice gets hindered back because of this. But I still have utmost belief in Percy and the group that they'll still be able to find a way in order to be able to defeat Chrysior and his dolphin army. So after the break, one more time, another break. So pretty short break, but so but in case you forgot to get a snack. Uh, so this this is the this is the time to do so. So go ahead, grab a snack, uh, take a break, take a maybe a five minute break, any break, and then come back and then we'll read the final chapter of this episode, chapter thirty one, and see what exactly happens between the group and Chrysler.
And we're back from the ads. And now we're going to read chapter 20, chapter 31, <laughs> Percy. Nothing like total failure to generate great ideas. As Percy stood there disarmed and outmatched, the plan formed in his head. He was so used to Annabeth providing Greek legend information that he was kind of stunned to actually remember something useful. But he had to act fast. He couldn't let anything happen to his friends. He wasn't going to lose Annabeth. Not again. Chrysler couldn't be beat, at least not in single combat. Without his crew, maybe then he could be overwhelmed, if enough go- demigods attacked him at once. How to deal with Chrysler's crew? Percy put the pieces together. The pirates had been turned into dolphin men millennia long ago when they had kidnapped the wrong person. Percy knew that story. Heck, the wrong person in question had threatened to turn him into a dolphin. And when Chrysler said the crew wasn't afraid of anything, one of the dolphins had nervously corrected him. Yes, Chrysler said, but he's not here. Percy glanced toward the stern and spotted Frank in human form, peeking out from behind a ballista, waiting. Percy resisted the urge to smile. The big guy claimed to be clumsy and useless, but he always seemed to be exactly in the right place when Percy needed him. The girls. Frank. The ice chest. It was a crazy idea, but as usual, that's all Percy had. Fine! Percy shouted so loudly that he got everyone's attention. Take us away if our captain will let you. Gracier turned his golden mask. <laughs> what, Captain? My men searched the ship. There is no one else. Percy raised his hands dramatically. The god appears only when he wishes, but he is our leader. He runs our camp for demigods, doesn't he, Annabeth? Annabeth was quick. Yes? She nodded enthusiastically. Mr. D, the great Dionysus! A ripple of uneasiness passed through the dolphin men. One dropped his sword. Stand fast! Chrysler bellowed. There is no god on the ship. They're trying to scare you. You should be scared. Percy looked at the pirate crew with sympathy. Dionysus will severely cranky will be severely cranky with you for having delayed our voyage. He will punish all of us. Didn't you notice the girls falling into the wine god wine god's madness? Hazel and Piper had stopped the shaking fits. They were sitting on the deck staring at Percy, but when he glared at them pointedly, they started hamming it up again, trembling and flopping around like fish. The dolphin men fell over themselves, trying to get away from their captives. Fix! Chrysler roared. Shut up, Percy Jackson. Your camp director is not here. He was recalled to Olympus. This is common knowledge. So you admit Dionysus is our director, Percy said. He was Chrysler corrected. Everyone knows that. Percy just gestured at the golden warrior like he just betrayed himself. <laughs> you see? We are doomed. If you don't believe me, let's check the ice chest. Percy stormed over to the magic cooler. I want to try to stop him. He knocked open the lid and rummaged through the ice. There, didn't, there had to be one. Please. He was rewarded with a silver and red can of soda. He brandished it at the dolphin warriors as spraying them with bug repellent. Behold! Percy shouted. The gods' chosen beverage. Tremble before the horror of Diet Coke. The dolphin men began to panic. They were on the edge of retreat. Percy could feel it. The god will take your ship, Percy warned. He will finish your transformation into dolphins or make you insane or transfer you into insane dolphins. Your only hope is to swim away now, quickly. Ridiculous. Chrysler's voice turned shrill. He didn't seem sure whether to level his sword at Percy or his own crew. Save yourselves, Percy warned. It is too late for us. 
Then he gasped and pointed to the spot where Frank was hiding. Oh no! Frank is turning into a crazy dolphin! Nothing happened. I said, Percy repeated, Frank is turning into a crazy dolphin! Frank stumbled out of nowhere, making a big show of grabbing his throat. No! He said like he was reading from a teleprompter. I am reading, turning into a crazy dolphin. He began to change, his nose elongating into a snout, his skin becoming sleek and gray. He fell to the deck as a dolphin, his tail thumping against the boards. The pirate crew disbanded in terror, chattering and clicking as they dropped their weapons, forgot the captives, and ignored Chrysler's orders, and jumped overboard. In the confusion, Annabeth moved quickly to cut the bonds on Hazel, Piper, and Coach Hedge. Within seconds, Chrysler was alone and surrounded. Percy and his friends had no weapons except for Annabeth's knife and Hedge's hooves, but the murderer's look on their faces evidently convinced the golden warrior he was doomed. He backed to the edge of the rail. This isn't over. Jackson, Chrysler growled. I will have my revenge. His words were cut short by Frank, who had changed form again. An 800-pound grizzly bear can definitely break up a conversation. He sideswiped Chrysler and raked the golden mask off his helmet. Chrysler screamed, instantly covering his face with his arms and tumbling into the water. They ran to the rail. Chrysler had disappeared. Percy thought about chasing him, but he didn't know these waters, and he didn't want to confront that guy alone again. That was brilliant annabeth kissed him which made him feel made him feel a little better it was desperate percy corrected and we need to get rid of the pirate of this pirate trireme burn it annabeth asked percy looked at the diet coke in his hand no i've got another idea it took them longer than percy wanted as they worked he kept killing glancing at the seat waiting for chrysler and his pirate dolphins to return but they didn't Leo got back on his feet, thanks to a little nectar. Piper tended to Jason's wounds, but he wasn't as badly hurt as he looked. Mostly, he was just ashamed that he'd gotten overpowered again, which Percy could relate to. They returned all their own supplies to the proper places and tidied up from the invasion, while Coach Hedge had a field day on the enemy ship, breaking everything he could find with his baseball bat. When he was done, Percy loaded the enemy's weapons back on the pirate ship. Their storeroom was full of treasure, but Percy insisted that they touch none of it. I can sense about six million dollars worth of gold on board, Hazel said, plus diamonds, rubies. Six? Million? Frank stammered. Canadian dollars or American? Leave it, Percy said. It's part of the tribute. Tribute? Tribute? Hazel asked. Oh, Piper nodded. Kansas. Jason grinned. He'd been there too when he'd met them when they'd met the wine god. Crazy, but I like it. Finally, Percy went aboard the pirate ship and up opened the floor flood la- valves. He asked Leo to drill a few extra holes in the bottom of the hull with a power tool, and Leo was happy to oblige. The crew of the Argo II assembled at the rail and cut the grappling lines. Percy bar- brought out her new horn of plenty, and on Percy's directions willed it to spew do- Diet Coke, which came up with the strength of a fire hose, dowsing the enemy deck. Percy thought it would take hours, but the ship sank remarkably fast, filling with Diet Coke and seawater. Dionysus, Percy called, holding up Chrysler's golden mask, or Bacchus, whatever. You made this victory possible, even if you weren't here. Your enemies trembled at your name, or your Diet Coke, or something. So, yeah, thank you. 
The words were hard to get out, but Percy managed not to gag. We give this ship to you as tribute. We hope you like it. Six million in gold, Leo muttered. He'd better like it. Shh! He scolded. Precious metal isn't, isn't all that great. Believe me. Percy threw the golden mask above, uh, aboard the golden of, aboard the vessel, which was now sinking even faster. Brown fizzy liquid spewing out the triremes ore slots and bubbling from the cargo hold, turning the sea frothy brown. Percy summoned a wave, and the enemy ship was swamped. Leo steered the Argo II away as the pirate vessel disappeared underwater. Isn't that polluting? Piper asked. I wouldn't worry, Jason told her. If Bacchus likes it, the ship would vanish. Percy didn't know if that would happen, but he felt he'd done all he could. He had no faith that Dionysus would hear them, or care, much less help them in their battle against the twin giants, but he had to try. As the Argo II headed east into the fog, Percy decided at least one good thing had to come out of his sword fight with Chrysior. He was feeling humble, even humble enough to pay tri tri tribute to the wine dude. After their bout with the pirates, they decided to fly the rest of the way to Rome. Jason insisted he was well enough to take sentry duty, along with Coach Hedge. It was still charged with adrenaline that every time the ship hit turbulence, he swung his bat and yelled, DIE! They had a couple of hours before daybreak, so Jason suggested Percy try to get a few more hours of sleep. It's fine, man, Jason said. Give somebody else a chance to save the ship, huh? Percy agreed, though once in his cabin he had trouble falling asleep. He stared at the bronze lantern swaying from the ceiling and thought about how easily Chrysler had beaten him at swordplay. The golden warrior could have killed him without breaking a sweat. He'd only kept Percy alive because someone else wanted to pay for the privilege of killing him later. Percy felt like an arrow had slipped through a chink in his armor, as if he still had the blessing of Achilles and somehow someone had found his weak spot. The older he got, the longer he survived as a half-blood, the more his friends looked up to him. They depended on him and relied on his powers. Even the Romans had raised him on a shield and made him praetor, and he'd only known them for a couple of weeks. But Percy didn't feel powerful. The more heroic stuff he did, the more he realized how limited he was. He felt like a fraud. I'm not as great as you think. He wanted to warn his friends. His failures, like tonight, seemed to prove it. Maybe that's why he'd started to fear suffocation. It wasn't so much drowning in the earth or the sea, but the feeling that he was sinking into way too many expectations. Literally getting in over his head. Wow. When he started having thoughts like that, he knew he'd been spending too much time with Annabeth. Athena had once told Percy his fatal flaw. He was, supposed to be, he was supposedly too loyal to his friends. He couldn't see the big picture. He would save a friend even if it meant destroying the world. At the time, Percy had shrugged this off. How could loyalty be a bad thing? Besides, things worked out okay against the Titans. He'd saved his friends and beaten Kronos. Now, though, he started to wonder. He would gladly throw himself at any monster or god or giant to keep his friends from being hurt. But what if he wasn't up to the task? What if someone else had to do it? That was very hard for him to admit. He even had trouble with simple things like letting Jason take a turn at watch. He didn't want to rely on someone else to protect him. Someone who could get hurt on his account. Percy's mom had done that for him. She'd stayed in a bad relationship with a gross mortal guy because she thought it would save Percy from monsters. Grover, his best friend, had protected Percy for almost a year before Percy even realized he was a demigod. And Grover had almost gotten killed by the Minotaur. Percy wasn't a kid anymore. He didn't want anybody he loved taking a risk for him. He had to be strong enough to be the protector himself. But now he was supposed to let Annabeth go off on her own to follow the mark of Athena, knowing she might die. 
If it came to a choice, save Annabeth or let the quest succeed, could Percy really choose the quest? Exhaustion finally overtook him. He fell asleep and his nightmare, the rumble of thunder, became the laughter of the earth goddess Gaia. Percy dreamed he was standing on the front porch of the big house at Camp Half-Blood. The sleeping face of Gaia appeared on the side of Half-Blood Hill. Her massive features formed from the shadows on the grassy slopes. Her lips didn't move, but her voice echoed across the valley. So this is your home, Gaia, Gaia murmured. Take a last look, Percy Jackson. You should have returned here. At least then you could have died with your comrades when the Romans invade. Now your blood will be spilled far from home. On the ancient stones, an eye will rise. The ground shook at the top of Half-Blood Hill. Talia's pine tree burst into flames. Disruption rolled across the valley, grass turning to sand, forests crumbling to dust. The river and canoe lake dried up. The cabins in the big house burned to ashes. When the tremors stopped, Camp Half-Blood looked like a wasteland after an atomic blast. The only thing left was the porch where Percy stood. Next to him, the dust swirled and solidified into the figure of a woman. Her eyes were closed as she was sleepwalking. Her robes were forest green, dappled with gold and white like sunlight shifting through branches. Her hair was as black as tilled soil. Her face was beautiful, but even with a dreamy smile on her lips, she seemed cold and distant. Percy got the feeling she could watch demigods die or cities burn, and that smile wouldn't waver. When I reclaim the earth, Gaia said, I will leave this spot barren forever to remind me of your kind and how utterly powerful, powerless they were to stop me. It doesn't matter when you fall, my sweet little pawn. To Forceus or Chrysler or my dear twins, you will fall and I will be there to devour you. Your only choice now will you fall alone. Come to me willingly. Bring the girl. Perhaps I will spare this place you love. Otherwise... Gaia opened her eyes. They swirled in green and black as deep as the crust of the earth. Gaia saw everything. Her patience was infinite. She was slow to wake, but once she aroused, her power was unstoppable. Percy's skin tingled. His hands went numb. He looked down and realized he was crumbling to dust like all the monsters he'd ever defeated. Enjoy Tartarus, my little pawn. Gaia purred. A metallic clang, clang, clang jolted Percy out of his dream. He, his eyes shot open. He realized he just heard the landing gear being lowered. There was a knock on his door and Jason poked his head in. The bruises on his face had faded. His blue eyes glittered with excitement. Hey man, he said, we're descending over Rome. You really should see this. The sky was brilliant blue as if the stormy weather had never happened. The sun rose over the distant hills so everything below them shone and sparkled like the entire city of Rome had just come out of the car wash. Percy had seen big cities before. He was from New York, after all, but the sheer vastness of Rome grabbed him by the throat and made it harm to breathe. The city seemed to have no regard for the limits of geography. It spread through the hills of, and valleys, jumped over the Tiber with dozens of bridges, and just kept sprawling to the horizon. Streets and alleys zigzagged with no rhyme or reason through quilts of neighborhoods. Glass office buildings stood next to excavation sites. A cathedral stood next to a line of Roman columns, which stood next to a modern soccer stadium. St stadium. In some neighborhoods, old stu stucco villas with red-tiled roofs crowded the cobbled stone streets so that if percy concentrated on those areas he could imagine he was back in ancient times everywhere he looked there were wide piazzas 
and traffic-clogged streets. Parks cut across the city with a crazy collection of palm trees, pines, junipers, and olive trees, as if Rome couldn't decide what part of the world it belonged to. Or maybe it just believed all the world still belonged to Rome. It was either the city knew about Percy's dream of Gaia. It knew that the Earth goddess intended on raising all human civilization. And this city, which had stood for thousands of years, was saying back to her, You want to dissolve the city, dirtface? Give it a shot. In other words, it was the coach hedge of mortal cities. Only taller. We're sitting down in that park, Leo announced, pointing to a wide green space dot dotted with palm trees. Let's hope the mist makes us look like a large pigeon or something. Percy was Jason's sister. Talia were here. She always had a way of bending the mist to make people see what she wanted. Percy had never been good at that. He just kept thinking, don't look at me, and hoped the Romans below would fail to notice the giant bronze trireme descending on their city in the middle of morning rush hour. It seemed to work. Percy didn't notice any cars veering off the road or Romans pointing to the sky and screaming, Aliens! The Argo II sat down in the grassy field and the oars retracted. The noise of traffic was all around them, but the park itself was peaceful and deserted. To their left, a green lawn sloped toward a line of woods. An old villa nestled in the shade of some weird-looking pine trees with thin, curvy trunks that shot up 30 or 40 feet, then sprouted into puffy canopies. They reminded Percy of trees in those Dr. Seuss books his mom used to read him when he was little. To the right, sneaking along the top of a hill, was a long brick wall with notches at the top for archers. Maybe a medieval defensive line, maybe ancient Roman. Percy wasn't sure. To the north, about a mile away through the folds of the city, the top of the Colosseum rose above the rooftops, looking like just like it did in travel photos. That's when Percy's legs started to shake. He was actually here. He thought his trip to Alaska had been pretty exotic, but now he was in the heart of the old Roman Empire, enemy territory for a Greek demigod. In a way, this place had shaped his life as much as New York. Jason pointed down to the base of the archer's wall, where steps led down into some kind of tunnel. I think I know where we are, he said. That's the tomb, that's the tomb of Scipios. Percy frowned. Scipio? Reynos Pegasus? No, Annabeth put in. They were a noble Roman family, and... Wow, this place is amazing. Jason nodded. I've studied maps of Rome before. I've always wanted to come here, but... Nobody bothered finishing that sentence. Looking at his friends' faces, Percy could tell they were just as much in awe as he was. They'd made it. They'd landed in Rome. The Rome. Plans? Hazel said. Hazel asked. Nico has until sunset, at best. And this entire city is supposedly getting destroyed today. Percy shook himself out of his daze. You're right. Annabeth, did you zero in on that spot from your bronze map? Her gray eyes turned extra thunderstorm dark, which Percy could interpret just fine. Remember what I said, buddy. Keep that dream to yourself. Yes, she said carefully. It's on the Tiber River. I think I can find it, but I should... Take me along, Percy finished. Yeah, you're right. Ambeth glared daggers at him. That's not... Safe, he supplied. One demigod walking through Rome alone? I'll go with you as far as the Tiber. We can use that letter of introduction. Hopefully meet the river god Tiberinus. Maybe he can give you some help or advice. Then you can go on alone from there. They had a silent staring contest, but Percy didn't back down. When he and Banabeth started dating, his mother had drummed into it, it into his head. It's good manners to walk your date to the door. 
If that was true, it had to be good manners to walk her to the start of her epic solo death quest. <sighs> Fine, Annabeth murmured. Hazel, now that we're in Rome, do you think you can pinpoint Nico's location? Hazel blinked as if coming out of a trance from watching the Percy Annabeth show. Um, hopefully. If I get close enough, I'll have to walk around the city. Frank, would you come with me? Frank beamed. Absolutely. And, uh, Leo, Hazel added. Might be a good idea if you came along, too. The fish centaur said we need your help with something mechanical. Yeah, Leo said. No problem. Frank's smile turned into something more than like Chrysler's mask. Percy was no genius when it came to relationships, but even he could feel the tension among those three. Three. Ever since they got knocked into the Atlantic, they hadn't acted quite the same. It wasn't just the two guys competing for Hazel. It was like the three of them were locked together, acting out some kind of murder mystery, but they hadn't yet discovered which one of them was the victim. Percy drew her knife and set it on the rail. Jason and I can watch the ship for now. I'll see what Catoptris can show me. But Hazel, if you guys get a fix on Nico's location, don't go in there by yourselves. Come back and get us. It'll take all of us to fight the giants. She didn't say the obvious. Even all of them together wouldn't be enough unless they had a god on their side. Percy decided not to bring that up. Good idea, Percy said. How about we plan to meet back here at what? Three this afternoon, Jason suggested. That's probably the latest we could mm, rendezvous and still hope to fight the giants and save Nico. If something happens to change the plan, try to send an Iris message. The others nodded in agreement, but Percy noticed several of them glancing at Annabeth. Another thing nobody wanted to say. Annabeth would be on a different schedule. She might be back at three, or much later. Or never. And she might be on her own, searching for the Athena Parthenos. Coach Hedge grunted. Oh, that'll give me time to eat the coconuts. Uh, I mean, dig the coconuts out of our hall. Percy, Annabeth, I don't like you two going off on your own. Just remember, behave. If I hear about any funny business, I will ground you until the sticks freezes over. The idea of getting, of getting grounded when they were about to risk their lives was so ridiculous, Percy couldn't help smiling. We'll be back soon, he promised. He looked around at his friends, trying not to feel like this is the last time they'd ever be together. Good luck, everyone. Leo lowered the gangplank, and Percy and Annabeth were first off the ship. That's the end of chapter 31. Well, this certainly is probably as exciting as it might be for the group that they actually are in Rome right now, and they kind of took a mini tour, kind of got to see everything around the Colosseum and everything. Now comes the stressful part of just having the whole group just split apart. Annabeth now going on her entire, entirely her own quest to find the Athena Parthenos. And then you have the rest of the group trying to maneuver their way throughout Rome. So it's going to be fascinating to see how the rest of this, how the book is going to go from here, or at least the next few chapters is going to go on from here on out. Because now we're going to be getting perspectives from different people as they're going on different parts of the quest um you have percy and annabeth going to meet tyburn tyburness and then percy having to leave annabeth afterwards unfortunately and then you have percy and frank going about their own way and then you have hazel frank and leo also going about their own way which is going to be probably a very fascinating interaction between those three as jason had already <laughs> 
shown off with his facial expressions. It's definitely a very weird, a very interesting dynamic happening between those three. So it's very, it's going to be very exciting to see what exactly is going to be happening within that little group over there. And yeah, I think this, these three chapters were definitely fascinating, very interesting. I really enjoyed reading these chapters. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to them as much as I did. Um, yeah, I think other than that, uh, next week onwards, we're going to have to see how the rest of this journey fares out and how everybody else is going to have to go their own separate ways and just reconvene. But it'll probably be at the probably one of the w- most weirdest of times, um, maybe when they get attacked by another monster or an worst case scenario, they come they face Gaia, Gaia, or one of her minions, but I have uh, the utmost faith in them, I believe that they will be able to handle whatever comes their way, um, I hope I am, I was able to improve a, a bit on the pronunciations this time around, um, but yeah, thank you guys for listening to this episode, if you guys, um, thank you guys just in general, just listening to this episode and just the episodes of this podcast in general is a huge huge help to me um but if you want to this is totally optional you can go to the patreon that is linked in the bio slash description of my podcast um just to show some extra love extra support i would really appreciate that but again totally optional not necessary but it would mean a lot to me if you could um yeah So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, Until next week and in general, I hope you guys stay safe and stay out of boredom.